Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. You're probably tired of hearing about how these are unprecedented times because things have been unprecedented and terrible for a long time. I don't even ask, what fresh hell is this? Because it's been fresh hell season for over a year. And that's why I wanted to talk to Kelly Williams Brown. In her first book, a New York Times bestseller, she coined the term adulting. She had a lot of success. And then around about the time Trump came on the scene, Kelly endured what she calls 700 bad days in a row. Some of those days were full of personal struggle. Others were national and global disasters that we all experienced together, watching our TVs and our phones. How did she come out on the other side? Well, she discovered simple things that gave her joy and little projects that made her feel like a person in the world. She's written about her experience in a new book called Easy Crafts for the Insane, a mostly funny memoir of mental illness and making things. I'm also talking to Kelly because she is a fellow suicide attempt survivor, and it is National Suicide Prevention Week. I don't think either of us are making light of our experiences when we tell you that this book about crafting will teach you a lot about preventing suicide. This book will teach you how to set guardrails for yourself in the moment and how to find help in a crisis and the most important part of suicide prevention. This book will tell you about creating a life worth living. Kelly and I do discuss very generally and gently the attempt itself. So if that is something you'll find really upsetting right now, please come back another day. And if you need to talk to someone right now, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255, or you can try the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Coming right up, Kelly Williams-Brown. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here too. I really enjoyed your book. Thank you. It is about a, a couple of bad years in your life, among other things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how crafting helped pull you through those years. But I want to kind of set up where you were before the 700 days of shit happened, because I think that's kind of an important piece. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was definitely quite the fall. <laughs> it I'm, really, trying I know not- word, I'm trying to avoid like fall. <laughs> It was a real change from uh, sort of being a together functioning person to really not uh, physically and mentally. So, uh, but that's just part of the fun. That was just the excitement of those years. Yes. So, so tell us about that. Tell us where you were. You know, it, it, it was interesting. So I do have to issue an apology to anyone who was listening to this, which there is a word that most of you probably heard mm. and I invented it. And I knew it was annoying at the time. And that word is adulting. Uh, because I came up with this idea for a book about, you know, how does insurance work? How do you bleach your counter? And wrote that. And so, and I, I had a great deal of success with that book. And uh, I'm still proud of it. But, you know, I, I was, it, people thought I had my life together. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't. And I didn't even portray it that way in a bu- the book. Like, I've always kind of been a little bit of a mess. But you know, I was also in that place where, you know, in you're in your early 30s and you're like, all right, well, I've done the career thing. I, I guess I got to get married. I guess I got to have kids. That's a logical order of things. There's boxes to be checked. So, you know, I, I went ahead and got married, even though I knew I shouldn't. And but I just had like what looked to be from the outside this fairly glamorous, great life. Uh, and that in no way reflected where I was internally. But I felt the need to keep up that appearance. And it's here, I think, I just want to put a note in about privilege, which you, would you talk about a little bit in your book? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> and it, maybe I, it'll be a little bit of a thread here, but since we're mentioning how well off you looked from the outside and the privileges yes. you had. That is 
absolutely very important to say. I am privileged in so many ways. I am a white cis female who was born to middle-class parents, uh, was always expecting to go to college. I did, uh, had, you know, a lot of privilege in terms of, uh, you know, not necessarily financial support, but I've always had a good kinship network. And the things that happened to me, you know, I want to be clear, they're, they're just sort of run of the mill, bad human things that happen. Um, and I've, you know, I've, like everyone, I've had some real trauma, like from New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina, that was a bummer. Uh, but the main privilege I would say that I, I don't have is good mental or even necessarily physical health. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of my book or a big point of it rather is that you can have good health insurance. You can have family and friends who support you. You can have what seems to be everything and it is still so hard to get care. We have decimated our social safety network. And for someone in my seat to see firsthand how decimated it is and how we do not take mental health seriously and how people slip through the cracks so, so easily and how close we all are to slipping in a way that I think we don't really acknowledge to ourselves. Uh, I mean, those, those are all things that need to be fixed. Yes, let us get to the somewhat ordinary Mm-hmm. but still real bummer events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I made a list and I just want you to let me know. <laughs> a list is, a list is good. Yeah. When it comes to this. I love lists. I am so into lists. And so I'm just going to go through them and then we can maybe talk about some of them individually. I think some of them are somewhat self-explanatory, but mm-hmm. okay. I think this is in mostly chronological order too. All right. You got divorced. It was a bummer. You broke your arm. Yes. Trump became president. Yes. You broke your other arm. So I would actually, just a quick clarification, okay. which is that I, I broke the elbow and then I fractured and dislocated the shoulder, but they thought I was pill-seeking at the hospital, so they like kicked me <laughs> out. So it was just broken and dislocated for three days, which is not best practices when it comes to dislocated shoulders. And then the next day, Trump was inaugurated. So I was oh just laying God. in bed. I didn't have any arms. I was like, wow, what a metaphor. What a, what a painful uh, metaphor this is. Your cat dies. Yes. The world breaks out in climate-related catastrophes, and several of them are near you or have emotional connections to you. Yes. Correct. Your grandmother dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your dad is diagnosed with cancer. Right. Your meds make you manic. Yeah. Was sent into what's called a, a mixed state where I uh, was, I, I had no inhibitions or impulse control, but was still deeply depressed. So that's a great, great place to be. Yes. I feel you. I really do. <laughs> I've, I've oh, been I'm there. Oh. And then last on the list, but this is one of the things I want to talk about. Uh, you are left by your chosen family. Yeah. When I was uh, in the hospital after, you know, my one and only suicide attempt, I didn't really know how to articulate that grief. And then somebody said catastrophic loss of chosen family. And I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's way better than what I was saying, which is like, my friends don't like me anymore. (laughs) Why am I racked with grief and unable to envision my life without these people? And then once, once that was said, I, I, I was, I gave myself permission to actually grieve that because I think the loss of friendship, especially female friendship is something we don't really have a script for. And we're very ashamed of in a way that we have scripts for helping people through lots of things. Yeah. There's grief. There is real grief. Yeah. That absolutely. comes with that. That's one of the things I'm glad you elaborated on. Cause that's one of the things I wanted to kind of get into. Cause I, I think you're right that we treat friendships so casually in this culture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we might be somewhat promiscuous with our friendship. That's not that that's necessarily a bad thing. Right. And then we leave those friends and, and, and it, for some people it matters more than others, but I think it is a loss. So it's definitely a loss. And I think it's, it's hard because, you know, with, with a romantic relationship, you never assume like, well, now we're together 
It's mm-hmm. going to be easy. We're never going to have to work on conflict. We're never going to have to say difficult things to each other. There's not going to be any kind of situation where we grow apart. We're just going to be friends till we die. And mm-hmm. if we're not, that means that I'm not good at being a friend, which for some reason feels like a really damning thing to say or acknowledge about yourself. And I guess the, the reason why the word promiscuous occurred to me about this is because you don't break up officially a friendship. There is not a thing where someone says to you, I'm not your friend anymore. And instead well, it's sometimes. Kind of, well, okay. Sometimes. <laughs> but I think for me, it's happened just in this, it's more of a ghosting. Yes. A slow fade <laughs> for sure. For sure. Because, and, and again, like, because sometimes we just lack the willingness to be, to say something like, Hey, you did this and it really upset me. I didn't like that you know? Uh, but with the assumption that like the relationship is strong enough to live through that. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to talk about as something that people might not expect to be on that list of things that, that, um, were part of your 700 days of shit Mm -hmm. is the climate catastrophe part. Yeah. So there's not a ton of research on this, but Mm -hmm. I looked around and there are studies that suggest that exposure to an extreme weather event causes ongoing mental health issues, including higher suicide rates. It was Hurricane Katrina was one of the studies I looked at. And the suicide yeah. rates for Katrina survivors are not good. Um, no. And then there are ripple effects um, for those who are not directly affected necessarily. Mm-hmm. And that is via something you'd expect, which is friends and family but also a more generalized sense of loss and hopelessness. Yeah. And also the inability to uh, watch Ponyo or Aquaman in the theaters because waves scare you. Just a lighter side effect. Um, (laughs) You know, there's so much well-earned despair around climate change. And, you know, I want to be clear that I had evacuated. I was not in New Orleans for the actual event, although I returned not too long after. And, you know, one thing that was really triggering for me during these bad days is uh, Hurricane Harvey in Houston, which really spectacularly flooded my other childhood neighborhood. And so once again, it was these images of water filling streets that I knew and being like, oh, is that Ashley? I think that's Ashley Lawson's old house. And it, it, it really, you know, I'm not the only one in the world for sure that feels such a sense of fatalism about this and such an incredible powerlessness. I can recycle every single thing. I can cut down on my electricity, but I I can't solve it and no one can. And that's led to, I think, a pretty reasonable fatalism, particularly among Gen Z folk. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were, sorry. No, please go ahead. Well, I was going to say that um, there was Hurricane Harvey and then also the fires that were yes. relatively near you and affected places that you knew. Yeah. And interestingly enough, ever since then, or since then, Last year, right around this time, there was a really terrible wildfire that was burning within, I think it got to within 16 miles of my house. Uh, And the sky was dark during the daytime. And you couldn't breathe inside uh, without an air filter. Our air quality index was like the worst in the world for a few days there. And to experience these new things, having gone through many, many Oregon summers and never before having ash fall on your car, being able to not breathe outside, you know, having the state fairgrounds open to refugees and to have, you know, be offering your home up. Again, it's a, it's a feeling of powerlessness and a feeling of despair and, I feel like a lot of what I do just in my day to day is to say the world is terrible and for the, and we're all living in hell world and I cannot fix it. So how do I cultivate a sense of contentment and peace within myself that allows me to change the things that I can? I guess I just want to affirm the climate change piece of this a, a little more because yeah. another thing that that can do mm-hmm. is take away the things that comfort you. You know, 
like, like I mentioned, you were, you loved some of those places in Oregon that were on fire. Yeah. You know, I did. I, I did. And I do. Um, and you will drive through areas that used to be this like exquisite, lush, green forest, you know, and you're just winding through the forest, through the mountain pass. And now it's incredibly bleak. Everything is brown. You know, I remember a, a, just a few days ago, I was going over to Bend, which is over the mountains, a lovely little town. And I finally got out of the burned area and was in pretty forest for a few moments. And I thought, oh, this is so lovely, you know, but, but it'll, the other forest will be back. And then I got over the mountains and right into like one mile visibility wildfire smoke. And it was like, well, this is peachy. Great. <laughs> Love this. Um, <laughs> And it's even, you know, I don't know if this is a relatable feeling for people or not, but I'm from New Orleans and I love New Orleans. And every single day I think about living in New Orleans and I think, why don't I live in New Orleans? I feel sure it's the only place I want to be. And then I remind myself that New Orleans is probably going to be gone in my lifetime. And to live in New Orleans is to suffer collective trauma after collective trauma in the forms of hurricanes and oil spills and 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 my relationship with new orleans has probably brought me more pain than any single relationship in my life because i love it so much and i cannot save it and i think people probably understand why trump is on the list but i want to talk about it a little anyway of yes. the terrible things that happened um yes. and talking about you know uh, shared trauma perhaps yeah and th- and in that first was, the whole thing was batshit crazy i wouldn't i wouldn't describe any bit of the Trump presidency is non-batchet crazy. Uh, and I don't say that in in terms of like referring to anyone as being in- mentally ill so much as the effect I feel like it had on all of us right? in terms of right. feeling that up is down and left is right. And who knows what's going to like any given moment, anything could happen. Right. And that feeling of just that I, I felt like I knew what my country was and how the presidency worked and, you know, not certainly not all great, like, but I I thought I kind of knew. And it was sort of very similar to feelings that I was having within myself. Like I thought I knew what I was. I thought I knew what my life was. And then those things just completely unraveled. And if you've never had no arms, I I cannot recommend it, but (laughs) Through uh, through some interesting quirks of like how I fractured the shoulder, there was like a question of like, well, does Kelly have a brain tumor that's gone into her bones? And it it just felt so on the nose, like wow, really bad things are happening, and I, that I had no idea about. <laughs> I don't, and he's no longer the president. And both of these things are very nice. I did want to do some uplift for a second here. Because we have more yeah. dark, we have more dark shit to talk oh about. Oh my gosh, I I always feel so bad. I ma- I tried so hard to not make the book like to make the book funny and to see what's funny about these things because there were some very funny things. Yes, I mean, I agree. I totally uh, agree. I absolutely like, must laugh at tragedy. Uh, so if you're out there and listening, it's not as much of a bummer. I don't think as it sounds. Like. Or maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. You read it. I just wrote it. I would say it is. Oh God, how do you say this about a book that does affect you, right? Yeah. Like you will feel things if you read this book and not all of it is like happy, fun feelings, but I don't think the book leaves you in a dark place. In fact, it does the opposite. So now let's talk about some of the lighter moments in the book. Yes. Crafting. 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 So I, I first want to know, like, were you crafty during your good times before this? Was crafting something that you enjoyed, you know, apart from stabilizing your mental oh, health? Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I've always been a crafter. I learned crafting kind of from my grandmother, not not the one who died. She had died previously, but who is really my favorite person on earth. And it's always been something that I really has been a go-to. Like, I'm very ADHD. And having something in my fingers allows me to actually slow my brain down and focus, even while I'm doing something else, like 
For example, you don't know this, but as we have been chit-chatting, I have been making lucky paper stars because it allows me to kind of really zoom in on what's happening and not uh, go to my mind palace and whatever <laughs> useless thoughts it might have to offer up. So yes, I, I definitely do craft. It's it's something that brings me joy. I'm not good at it. And I want to be very clear. Like there, there are legitimately talented people out there. And then there's people who make sort of I would say like a, maybe a talented fifth grader level of craft. And I'm definitely more on that side than something you would purchase at a market. I will say that crafts do really calm and quiet my mind. And when I am anguished, if I pick up a simple craft to do that I know really well and I turn on 30 Rock or something, you know, sometimes when things are really terrible, it's just passing the time until mm-hmm. they're not terrible. It's just being able to sit there. And, you know, not elect to do heroin, not elect to, you know, (laughs) fuck someone you shouldn't, not elect to, you know, hurt yourself. Call someone you shouldn't. Exactly. Oh, there's so Uh, many bad decisions to make. And I love making them. I love making a bad decision. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the best match three style game there is. The rest are basically the same game with different color combinations. So stop crushing the same old candy and try a puzzle game with something fresh to offer. Playing Best Fiends means playing through an actual storyline with good guys, the fiends, and baddies, the slugs. Each fiend starts out as a baby version of his or her future self. The more you play, the stronger your team becomes as more fiends join you, solving ever more challenging puzzles. It combines thrilling action with a challenging puzzle game. With new content added every day, there's never a dull moment. Best Fiends has literally thousands of levels with more being added every day. There's always a fresh challenge waiting for me when I need a mental pick-me-up. Download Best Fiends today on the App Store or Google Play. That's Best Friends without the R. Best Fiends on the App Store or Google Play. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Beta Brand. Getting ready for work and deciding if today is a professional day or a comfortable day? Are you lucky enough to be able to make that decision? Well, introducing Beta Brand's Dress Pant Yoga Pants, where your polished work clothes and your comfy clothes become one. Beta Brand's Dress Pant Yoga Pants combine the fit and flexibility of yoga pants with the look and feel of professional dress pants. Just throw in a pair, add a cute top, you'll be set for a comfortable and stylish day at the office. Choose from straight leg, skinny, cropped, bootleg, and more in a variety of colors and prints from classic black to fun houndstooth, and there is a pattern called cat's tooth, which has little cats in it. It's kind of literal. Very cute. There are also even denim styles. I have this cheery blue plaid pair that I'm hoping to wear during the two weeks in Texas that counts as fall. Beta Brand's dress pants, yoga pants will keep you comfy and stylish no matter what you do all day, whether you're at a desk for eight hours, working with kids, or maybe you're a photographer trying to get the perfect shot. Whatever you do, you're going to look great and feel great. These pants are made of wrinkle-resistant, stretch-knit fabric, so they look good all day and travel amazing. Plus, they're machine washable and don't need to be ironed. And the best part? They have pockets. We're talking comfort and function. No more fake pockets that are sewn shut. These pants are designed for real women who need real pockets. New colors, patterns, and styles are coming out all the time. So be sure to keep an eye out for limited time new releases because they sell out fast. And while you're on the Beta Brand site, be sure to take out Beta Brand's ultra-flattering tops, skirts, and dresses, and more. The dress pant yoga pants are just the tip of the iceberg. And right now, our listeners can get 30% off their Beta Brand orders when you go to betabrand.com slash WFLT. That's betabrand, B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com slash WFLT for 30% off your order for a limited time. And when you use our special URL, you are supporting the show. Find out why women are ditching typical work pants for Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants. Go to betabrand.com slash WFLT for 30% off. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Magic Spoon. We are all trying to eat better. It makes sense to start with breakfast. But a healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be bad for you either. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you love from childhood, but without all the bad stuff. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs in each serving, and only 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. If you go to their website, you can build your own box. 
Available flavors to build this custom box, cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. Magic Spoon also just recently brought back two super popular flavors, cookies and cream and maple waffle permanently. When those flavors were first introduced for a limited time, they sold out extremely quickly. Get these again or try them for the first time. They're delicious and indulgent. And you know what I especially appreciate about Magic Spoon when I really enjoy having Magic Spoon? Late at night, binging on something kind of trashy, Real Housewives or Below Decks, eating it straight out of the box. It's indulgent, but not trashy. Check out magicspoon.com WFLT to get a custom cereal bundle today. And be sure to use our promo code WFLT at checkout to save $5 off your order. If you don't like the product for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Take $5 off your next bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash WFLT with code WFLT. And thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. You say something in the book that is a mantra for me. Like it's a thing that I discovered in sobriety and it keeps me going like all the time, which is tomorrow will be different. Yes. It may not be better, but it will be different. But you never have to live today again. Yeah. Fresh shit perhaps, but not this shit. What fresh hell is this? Well, what what awaits tomorrow? <laughs> What could be around that bend? You know what? That's actually kind of an uplifting thought. I think sometimes when I tell people that and I say the part about it may not be better, but it'll be different. They're like, well, that's kind of, you know, like a pessimistic outlook. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't understand. Like, just different. Like, it won't be. It will feel slightly different, which, you know, spreading the pain around even that 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 helps. (laughs) You know, Okay, so despite having written a book that certainly at times is a bummer. I, I am actually a really sunny and fairly optimistic person. And so my general outlook is like, wow, that was terrible. I'll bet something great is going to happen tomorrow. Like what if tomorrow's the day that I like just randomly see a toucan? I love toucans. Wouldn't that be great? You know, and, and, and both accepting that to be alive and to be human is to experience pain and suffering. Like it, it sucks, but like, bad things are going to happen. Like I'm knocking on wood here. Someday my mom will die. Someday my dog will die. Neither of those should happen in a just universe, but they're going to. Uh, but on the upside, I have a delicious pie in my future, at least one, probably many. <laughs> and I have the experience of meeting someone new and clicking with them and being like, oh my gosh, this is so great. you know. And I have the experience of going and seeing a place that I've probably never even imagined. And I have the experience of reading funny stuff or discovering a new movie or a book that I love. And, and just realizing that there, there's the big scary things, but there's so many little good things in between. And I think it was Socrates who said the secret to happiness is not to seek more, but to enjoy less. Mm. And I have really found that in my life, that if I can be absolutely psyched to see the little tiny birds hop around, I have a, I'm sitting at my desk, I have a window right out there and lots of birds. I've created what I call Bird City USA out there, which is just a bird feeder and a bird bath. They don't use the bird bath. (laughs) Uh, But if I can really enjoy that, enjoy the hell out of it, then that makes me think, okay, yeah, global warming, that's very bad, but these birds are great. And what's interesting about depression Mm -hmm. is the inability to form any of those thoughts. Yes. They just, that muscle just goes away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very strange thing for me to just not care about anything. And you don't, I mean, you you don't even really care as much about the bad things because you're like, yeah, that makes that makes yeah, sure. <laughs> I, right. Of course, I, yeah. I I have read in a lot of places, and I certainly found this to be true in my life. I'm curious how you feel uh, that people who are really depressed or really anxious actually did kind of better during the pandemic because finally the outside world matched up with our expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I'd spent the whole Trump presidency thinking something really catastrophic that's going to kill hundreds of thousands of people is going to happen. And then when it did, I was like, yep, I don't, <laughs> I don't like it, but this, this is about what I expected the whole time. And here we are. 
Yes, I, I think that was my experience. I also, I am a, mostly an introvert that can play extrovert. Yes. So being at home all the time is kind of like my thing. <laughs> like, I, I love, love it. it. I love being at home. Why? I mean, going out, you kind of have to drag me sometimes. So I didn't suffer as much in that. And also, mm-hmm. yes, I think it's not so much that the outside matched up with my insides. It's I had a lot of the tools that other people had to develop on the fly already. Yes. And some of that sobriety, mm-hmm. um, but all of it are the tools I developed to get through the worst periods of my life that only affected me. Yes. And, and there was also something, and again, I want to acknowledge my tremendous fucking privilege that I had yes. during this quarantine, which is that I had a comfortable, safe place to live. I didn't have kids, which seemed to make a huge, huge difference. I did not, I could work from home. I stayed employed. You know, I, I had a lot of ways that, you know, it, it was, it, it could, I, I'm in the ideal situation for this. Right. Um, but I also, yeah, I, I think just what you said and, you know, when people say, I'm sorry, all these things happened to you. I'm like, well, I'm not. Cause it made me really good at being a human. It made me really good at living in my own skin and kind of enduring through some things that would perhaps ahead of time, like, had you described all of them in order and explained that all of this is going to happen in like 14 to 15 months, I would have said, no, thank you. Where is the nearest train? I need to go take a leap real quick. You know, <laughs> but I didn't. And now almost no matter what happens to me, I know that I have the capacity to get through kind of unimaginable things. And I think that an unexpected gift that I think a lot of us are getting during the pandemic is sort of a realization of our own resilience Mm -hmm. and our own ability to feel like you can't get up in the morning and then get up anyway. Uh, As my mom would put it, it's one big AFCO, which is another fucking growth opportunity. (laughs) Yes. I I loved it. I, I needed that acronym. Yes. Thank you. So, you know, we were talking about our resilience after having this mm-hmm. stuff happen. Um, but let's go back to when you didn't have those tools. And one yes. of your tools was indeed crafting. Mm-hmm. And you said you would, you've always been a crafter. And, and I wonder, you know, did you realize like how important it had, it was going to be to you or that it became to you? Or was it you just kind of started making things with your hands and then came to realize this is really important and I have to keep doing it. You know, I've, I've crafted since I was very young, you know, and I, I've gone through intense love affairs with a particular craft where that craft is all I will do for months and months and months. And then it's like, okay, well now I know how to make line and cut prints and I have not made one since, but I could do it if I wanted to. And I think some part of my little tiny child brain realized before I knew about mindfulness, before I could even sort of articulate my own suffering or otherness to myself, that doing something with my fingers calmed my mind down. And it doesn't have to be crafting. If I were a different person, this could be easy gardening for the insane or easy cooking for the insane or easy jogging for the insane. It doesn't matter what it is. I think we all have things and they are physical things, things that sort of shut down that constant stupid churn of your brain where it's coming up with judgments and mean things and cruel memories and bad thoughts and uh, anxiety about the future and bad predictions. I don't know about you. I've never once successfully predicted the future yet. And yet Mm -hmm. I still continue to each and every day. And it takes you out of that cycle a little bit. And it takes you to a slightly different place where you're really focused. You're really in the moment. You're using your body. You're using your brain in like the sort of practical way. And uh, if you will allow me a brief detour and you feel free to cut this if you'd like. So my grandmother was a Zen Buddhist and I, she wouldn't tell me about it because she's like, well, you just have to read about it. You can figure out if you're into it, which is a very Zen thing to do. Uh, But I didn't hear it all her Zen books. And one thing that really stuck out to me was someone saying, you know, we have two kinds of thoughts and one of them is a useless thought. 
and the other kinds are useful thoughts. And let's say you have to clean an oven. The useless kind of thoughts are, I hate cleaning the oven. This is disgusting. Why do I have to do this? Couldn't my partner do this? Why did I wait so long to do this? Is this gross cooked on cheese? Can I pay someone? Can I get, you know what I mean? On and on and on. And then the useful thought is, first I'm going to open the oven. Then I'm going to take the oven cleaner. I'm going to carefully apply it as directed. (laughs) I'm going to close it. You know what I mean? Like that's real step by step thing. And I think when you can take yourself out of that swirling mess and put yourself more in a step-by-step kind of useful thought place where you're not making judgments, you know, uh, which always to me end up being like, so what? Of course you don't want to clean the oven. No one wants to clean the oven. You have to do it anyway. And I think crafting gets me to that place. We've been talking so generally about crafting. I do feel we need to give people at least a tiny preview. I want to talk because I want to talk real specific about it. Please. Later, but just rattle off a list if you want, like the kinds of things you were doing during this period. Sure. So my my big thing was Lucky Paper Stars, which I have an entire bowl full of back here. I've probably made 10,000 of these. They, they, they look like candy. Like they look like a little puffy star. You make it out of a long strip of paper and it's frustrating at first. And then once you do it, you can really do it uh, very easily. Like I think I've made about 15 during our interview thus far. <laughs> um and that's that's really a total turn off your mind kind of thing. I have always loved to do calligraphy and lettering. And that's another thing that is just practice, practice, practice. Like you just n- need to make that oval perfect. You need to keep the line height right. Uh, I it, I talk about shrinky dink charm bracelets. Shrinky dinks are super fun. And I made a, you can learn how to make a bad decision charm bracelet of your very own uh, that reflects, as I mentioned, some of my favorite uh, bad decisions. I also have some things that I call brain crafts in there, which are sort of little things that I've worked out to calm my brain down. Or like if you were about to make a bad decision or how to calm a visceral middle of the night panic. Uh, yeah, the, the crafts are simple, I would say. Although with the origami, I'm always going to recommend, I, there's a lot of origami because I'm a, a total origami dork. Uh, for that, you probably will want to watch a YouTube video very hard to learn origami except by <laughs> looking at it or like in my case, you know, in my elementary school, we had, we had a lot of kids who had, who would move from Japan for a couple of years. So their, their moms would all come in and teach us origami. So if you don't have a patient, lovely Japanese mother to slowly instruct you, then YouTube is going to be your best bet, second best bet. This will probably not shock you in any way, but one of the things that I observed when I was in rehab Mm-hmm. everyone crafts, like yeah. everyone picks up crafting. Uh, oh yeah. Like the number, and, and I would talk to counselors about it and they said it kind of, you can see trends, like one, mm-hmm. one season, everyone will knit. Right. Really? And then like another season, people learn to play guitar. I was like, why wasn't I in that season? Um, I was oh, I'm so season. relieved. I wasn't. Um, <laughs> Nothing troubles me more than an acoustic guitar, but <sighs> to each their own. <laughs> And then I was there for part of a nail art, like trend, like all the people got really into nail art. Um, And then my mom was in rehab and she must have been in an origami phase because when I was there, she sent me origami paper. So yeah, people, people needing to distract themselves for sure. Going through their own version of both quarantine and depression. So crafts craft it up. You know, if you're somewhere with not that much to do with your time and not that many choices to make, you can make a little craft choice. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about um, bipolar disorder. Sure. Uh, You were diagnosed with bipolar two, same Z's. We've already Mm -hmm. discussed Mm -hmm. that. And I I wonder, you know, did do you think that uh, your what people would see as your natural like creativity and Mm -hmm. desire to do big projects um, and maybe having a lot of energy to do those product projects. Do you think that maybe slightly disguised the disorder for you? So it's interesting. Uh, I am not 100% sure whether I have I certainly have ADHD, but whether I have unipolar depression and ADHD or bipolar depression and ADHD, something I learned was that for a lot of women, uh, what can look like mania could actually be a hyperfocus of ADHD or hmm. what could look like hyperfocus of ADHD could ab- actually be a mania. Um, so it's hard to tell. 
I still don't know. Um, I'm, I'm never going to know 100% for sure. And something that was really hard to look at is that, you know, sometimes I do get into this like tremendous creative place where I'm just writing and writing or, you know, I'm doing ambitious art. Yeah. And, and I'm like, you know, doing my home and redecorating my home. And, and during those times I feel really so in my zone, so in my place, like so very myself and almost a little bit magical in a way. And it was really painful to think that that state of myself, which I so treasure and and does feel unique for me, might actually be a manifestation of mental illness. Like that was a mind fuck. You know, I've had pretty much the exact same experience Mm -hmm. in terms of having a part of me that seemed to occasionally come forward like a, mm-hmm. like, like almost like a, um, like a, st- I, I don't, it was still me, but it, it's like, I almost could feel like a physical, like something rising to the surface. Like hmm. it's me, Interesting. but yeah, may, maybe me plus, you know, it's me deluxe. Yeah. And for me also, that would be periods of like incredible sociability. Like I would be like, yes, let's meet people, you know? Um, yeah. which is normally kind of odd for me. Um, but also something that as a journalist, like you can do that thing and people don't ask any questions. Like if you're just going around asking people questions and meeting people. Um, and I would have periods of all this creativity and um, I, I have written more like like book proposals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I have an idea for a book. Wait, I have this idea for a book. Like that's like, I've, you know, lots of those. And I do feel good in these yeah. periods. And um, like people are going to hear this maybe and think, well, why couldn't you, how could that not be a sign to you that something was wrong? But like you said, magical, I would say untouchable. Like, oh, interesting. Like the bad feelings fall away. So that incredible feeling that I've had on and off, you know, most of my life, yes, to be told that might be a manifestation of a mental illness. You know, I just managed to turn that around somehow. Like for me, the diagnosis was like, oh, oh, that explains it. Like that's who I am. Right. And now I know in what ways I'm different. Yes. And, you know, I, I've always felt that regardless of whether it's mental health or physical health, if it seems like something has been wrong for a long time and sort of a constellation of things that you can't logically connect, and then a, you finally get a good doctor and they say to you, no, this is what's happening. Even if what's happening is very bad and not what you wanted, it feels good to know. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I, one group I should say that I really take uh, a lot of inspiration from is the autism community. Mm-hmm. who have done such a great job of saying nothing is wrong with me. Yeah. My, my brain is different. My brain does some things really, really well. Some things it doesn't do as well. I think that can be said of literally every human, even non-brain things. Some of us are great jumpers. Some of us are not, <laughs> you know, and and not necessarily assigning a value judgment to it. Mm-hmm. And I love my brain. I think I have a great brain. I would not trade my brain to someone else's, but I do need to take care of it the way, the best that I can. And I also need to not ever use it as an excuse to be shitty to other people. You know, for me, one thing that has helped me really prioritize my keeping myself well is that Yes, when I'm depressed, I'm hurting, but I'm also hurting people around me. And I don't want to do that. You know, and even if maybe I it's it's worth my mom's feelings. You know what I mean? <laughs> to make sure that I'm not in a dark place. So I want to continue the conversation, but we do have sponsors to hear from. So let's take a quick break. With friends like these is brought to you by Monk Pack. The problem with healthy snacks is they don't taste good. They don't satisfy your cravings and they don't fill you up. Well, this episode is sponsored by Monk Pack, 
who makes snacks that taste like sugary treats but have one gram of sugar or less. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain one gram of sugar or less, two to three grams of net carbs, and are only 150 calories. They're great for anyone on a keto diet. They're perfect for anyone trying to eat better or cut back on carbs and sugar. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have the perfect balance of sweet and salty, a crunch from the whole nuts and seeds, but still soft and chewy. There's sea salt dark chocolate, caramel sea salt, and peanut butter dark chocolate. That salty sweet balance hits my sweet spot, or salty sweet spot. And what's the best thing about Monk Pack Bars? They taste like food not chemicals. Enjoy Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars as a quick breakfast while running errands or after a workout. This week, I gave a bunch to my neighbor who is actually doing the keto thing, and she loves them. And besides being keto-friendly, the bars are gluten-free, plant-based, and non-GMO with no soy, trans fat, sugar, alcohols, or artificial colors. If you want to make sure you're always stocked, Sign up for a subscription to your favorite flavors. It saves you 10% on every order. Try it for yourself and see. We have a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering code WFLT at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product, enter the code WFLT at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Joybird. The best thing that's happened this entire year for me is that I bought a home in Austin. Every time this year has gotten hard, which is often, and every time I felt defeated, which is more than I'd like, or every time something goes wrong, I remind myself that I'm living in a home I bought and furnished just for me. There is nothing in this house I don't love. The pictures on the walls, the food in the fridge, and the furniture. Making a space your own is an investment for your future happiness, and it can be easy. At Joybird, you can choose from over 18,000 customization options or browse curated collections to find that perfect piece for your one-of-a-kind style. Unsure where to start? Joybird's design specialists are standing by to make your vision a reality for free. Joybird is committed to creating quality furniture and a more sustainable future. Each piece is made with incredible care, using responsibly sourced materials free of harmful chemicals. And through partnerships with groups like One Tree Planted, Joybird is helping conserve and restore the Earth's most precious natural resources. Quality craftsmanship, stain and scratch-resistant fabrics, and limited lifetime warranty, Joybird furniture can handle anything your family throws at it. Literally. Joybird stands by its quality and craftsmanship. If it's not everything you hoped for, you can send it back. Create a space that brings you joy with Joybird. Visit joybird.com slash friends to get 30% off your purchase. That's 30% off at joybird.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Ritual, the multivitamin company you know and trust. Maybe you associate protein powders with no pain, no gain, or maybe it bothers you that you can't pronounce any of the ingredients on the label. But the truth is, deep down, as in the cellular level. We all need protein, and it's about more than just muscles. So Ritual's team of scientists came up with a completely new way to think about protein from how it's made to who it's for and why it's needed. The result is a delicious plant-based protein in three different formulations suited for different life stages and nutritional needs. Every Ritual product is made with the same high standards and commitment to traceability you've come to expect. No matter what your idea of activity is, lifting weights or walking the dog, you need protein, and Ritual's Essential Protein is here to shake things up. The vanilla flavor basically goes with everything. I guess that's why they call it vanilla. I put it in smoothies. I mix it in yogurt and oatmeal. I really intend to bake with it when I cook someday. It's not chalky. It doesn't have that weird aftertaste like some powders do. And best of all, I know what's in it and why. Ritual's transparent supply chain ensures you always know what's in their formulas, where the ingredients came for, and why they're included. 
It's protein powder with good taste. The delicious vanilla flavor comes from direct from the farmer vanilla bean extract sustainably harvested in Madagascar. There's no added sugars or sugar alcohols, and like all Ritual products, essential protein is soy-free, grain-free, and formulated with non-GMO ingredients. So why not shake up your Ritual? To try making something new less scary, Ritual offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, my listeners get 10% off during their first three months of a subscription. Just visit ritual.com slash friends to add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash friends. Okay. So we're talking during National Suicide Prevention Week. And I know we are both survivors Mm -hmm. and I don't want to dwell on it and I want to talk about solutions, Mm -hmm. but could you just tell us what you think is important to know about your attempt? Sure. Um, The first thing, and I've certainly alluded to this before, is that although I've been depressed for quite some time, I had not, you know, a suicide attempt, suicidality was not really ever a, a part of my story, even even when, when things had been pretty, pretty bleak. Uh, and I was put on an antidepressant. And you know how like mania and suicide are always listed as side effects, but then <laughs> so is everything else, like fat psychosis and random throw ups and death. You know, it, it, like every med you take, it, it, it has such a warning list. Um, but that's what happened. Uh, it didn't cure my depression, but I you know, you talked about something rising within you. I felt like I was in a car that had just like was accelerating and I had so many ideas and I had so many thoughts, but also I was still in this place of grief at the loss of these two very close friendships and in a relationship that was not healthy. Um, looking back, I think if you'd asked me that day, are you suicidal? I would have said, no, absolutely not. But if you had asked me, have you sort of been passively contemplating for months how someone, not not you, but just someone who lived in your house with access to the things in your house, how they could effectively kill themselves? I would have said, well, I mean, sure. Who doesn't? Who doesn't think about that? That's just, you know, that's just something you do. Um, and like most suicide attempts and, and most suicides, the timing, and this is what truly terrifies me and chills me, it, is the time between thought and action was so brief. I'd had a really painful bad night, a big fight with a boyfriend. He'd gone upstairs. I was just crying and crying downstairs. And then, boop, just made a choice. Yeah. And, you know, I... I forget it was who you were speaking with, but someone, a suicide prevention expert, talked about building a life worth living. Mm-hmm. The things that I have done for prevention is that I have built a life that is worth living. I have built uh, a kinship network here in town that's not just like, okay, I can hang out with these two or three people and otherwise – you know, I'm too anxious to talk to anyone. It's like, no, I've, I've made friends with all of my neighbors. We have a group neighbor text. And I know that like, if anything was going wrong, there's people close to me that are here that I could call. Uh, I have done things to get really involved in my community. You know, for a while I had a Girl Scout troop, still iffy with COVID. I have an outdoor trivia night. I have realized that for me, working at home alone is never going to work. I can just never be a stay-at-home writer because I need to have that structure in my life where I get up and I put on clothes and I put on makeup and I go to the office. It's a really a challenge that my work is still remote, but I still try to keep all those structures in place for myself and even go into the office sometimes, even if it's just me there. And I've built a really good mental health care team that I intend to stay with for as long as I can. I found a psychiatrist who's young. He can he can be my psychiatrist for the rest of my life, you know? And so I think, you know, that is the real, the real tips that I have, um, is to build a network before you need a network. 
and, and keep it strong and prioritize it and connect yourself to other people. Your description of building a life worth living is so beautiful. And I do think that we need global approaches to suicide prevention, but mm-hmm. you also have some really specific instructions in your book. You have a, yes. a list that may sound to people that it's just about making trivial bad decisions, but I would mm-hmm. say it's a good list no matter what kind of bad decision you're looking at. Absolutely. I mean, and yeah, this this can be for small bad decisions. This can be for big bad decisions. When you're about to make a bad decision, you know it's a bad decision. You mm-hmm. You know that you shouldn't, right? But you really want to. And so what I try to do is set a timer for 10 minutes. And I will say, you know, and, and usually this is for lower stakes stuff, you know, like texting that person you shouldn't text or smoking a cigarette if you haven't smoked in months and you've been really good. And I'll set that timer. And during that, t- I tell myself, if I still want to do it at the end of the 10 minutes, I can do it. But let's spend this 10 minutes thinking about other things that we might do instead. Like instead of texting the thought to that person, could I text this to a good friend? Or instead of having that cigarette, can I remove myself from the situation and go chew on a straw? And I think building in that little bit of extra time to contemplate what you're about to do and say, is this really what I want to do? Like, is this what I want to have done tomorrow? Not right now can help a lot. See, I, I, people might hesitate to apply that to something as momentous as self-harm, mm-hmm. but that's basically what you learn getting sober too. Like, yeah. which is, I mean, a grievous form of self-harm is, you know, picking up your drug of choice again. Right. Yeah. And setting the fucking timer just, yeah. and then in AA, we do say, and if you still want to drink at the end of the 10 minutes, we'll set the timer again. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually probably a better thing. But I have to tell myself that that I'm going to make a choice, you know, and, right. and I get to choose. Uh, but let's just, let's just press pause. And yeah. more often than not, at the end of that 10 minutes, you know, you still might want to do it. But hopefully the impulse has passed. Hopefully you've turned on a 30 Rock episode. Well, yeah, let's talk about these, 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 um, they're not interventions necessarily, mm-hmm. but they're other tools like crafting. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Familiar TV that yes. makes me feel like I'm hanging out with my friends, mm-hmm. you know, but not the show friends. I do not like the show friends. But no, it's not. 30 Rock, like, mm-hmm. oh, Liz Lemon. Hi. You know? Yes. Yes. Hey, Jack, let's let's hang out for a little while. And you talk about Bob's Burgers. Absolutely. And Bob's Burgers is so key. I, I absolutely love Bob's Burgers. If you're a, if you're not a Bob's Burger fan, if you've tried it and you're like, oh, it's not that funny. You just have to watch like, and I hate when people say this, but you have to sort of watch it for a little <laughs> while to really get into it. But, uh, you know, I, I love Bob so much and it is so tied to mental health for me. And I didn't realize this, but for other people too, as I've since heard. And so- I have a grand podcast idea called Bob's and Sobs, where someone comes on and talks about their favorite Bob's episode. And then afterwards we talk about, okay, besides just watching Bob's Burgers, what are our mental health strategies? Well, I, you know what? I mean, everyone has a podcast. Everyone has a <laughs> podcast know? inside them. Everyone has a podcast. There's bar, yeah, you know, I, I don't mean this. I, what I mean is your dream is easy to achieve. Like mm. it doesn't have to be just a dream. Oh, but do we need more podcasts? I think we got a lot of podcasts. I think we're probably good on podcasts for now. But I, I, yes, exactly what you were saying. And and sometimes transporting yourself to a world that is different than the one you're in right now, you find familiar and comfortable. And just, you know, it's just sometimes we have to get, we all want ways to get out of our heads sometimes because mm-hmm. our heads can be very gruesome places to be, unfortunately. And there's better ways to do that. And there's worse ways to do that. And let's, let's choose the better way. So another interesting tool in your arsenal is your mm-hmm. altar. Yes. Tell us about your altar. That's also well, so a craft that you suggest. It, it is a craft. And I, I love my altar. It's right over here out of view. Uh, so I don't have a higher power. I have a council of higher powers. <laughs> and it's anyone sort of on the ethereal plane that I feel would have my best interests at heart or be rooting for me. So it includes everything. I mean, it does include God. It includes 
the Buddha. It includes uh, St. Francis and St. Anthony and St. Ignatius Loyola. It includes uh, my granny Barb and some ancestors who are gone. It includes uh, a photo of Texas Governor Ann Richards. It covers the waterfront. And so I have all these little things on there that are the people I think are kind of rooting for me. And also some little things that remind me of the things I love in life. Like there's some things that represent beloved pets of the past and I arrange it and it's just a place that I can go. I don't, I don't sit there every day. I don't have a special practice with it, but when I'm really in trouble, I will go and I will say, Hey everyone, you know what I should do? What should I do? And sometimes I don't get anything back. Sometimes I get something that really does feel like it's coming from outside myself. And sometimes I get something from within myself. And to me, having all that specialness together in one place sort of reminds me that I'm the same person through space and time, like the same way that like listening to a song that I loved when I was 15 did. Mm. And it also reminds me that the scope of my life is so much bigger than what I'm feeling in any given moment. So one thing we haven't talked about is that crafting is um, pretty gendered. Mm, mm -hmm. I think. Yes, I think so too. We could have a whole other show, another hour long conversation about Mm -hmm. why that is and whether it's a good thing. I want to plan on having the conversation But for now, I just want to ask you, have you heard from men or non-binary people about crafting and mental health? It's interesting. Um, So I have actually a strange and surprising demographic for this book has been straight cis men, which I did not see coming. Um, I think a lot of times for them, they might think of crafting in a slightly different way. Like it might be like a woodworking or, (laughs) um, you know, like it is the word perhaps and not the activity that's more gender. It is. It is. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then there's also a question of like, what is craft versus what is art and what do, how do we categorize that and that being gendered as well? Um, so I have definitely heard from, from some guys who like crafting as we, you know, tend to define it, but, you know, again, I, I don't, it doesn't have to be crafts. It, I think it's, it's just doing something in the real world with your body, you know? Um, and I think everyone can, can relate to that and can relate to the need to have something that you do that you're not attached to the outcome. Mm -hmm. It's just about doing it. Another thing I love about the solution of crafts though, and I I think Mm -hmm. I am specifically talking about crafts, although you could name other things that fit the category I'm about to describe, which is that it is such a low bar to entry. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's relatively cheap and often easy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask as, as, as kind of, we close our conversation and um, what is your advice to the would be crafter? You know, where should they start? Um, well, I will say lucky paper stars are cute and they are easy and you can get very cute uh, paper star strips off either any Japanese stationery store or a certain giant online retailer that purveys everything widely available. <laughs> uh, and, and those are really fun things to get started with. Uh, origami, again, is very tidy. You just need the paper. Um, but the main thing I would say about any anyone who wants to do crafts who's new at it is I think a lot of times we have, like I said, this, this these outcome-based expectations of I'm going to try it and I'm going to be great at it. And if I try it and I'm not great at it, that means I'm a bad crafter. And the truth is, is that there is so much satisfaction in becoming better and better. And, and realizing also that when it, when it comes to my art generally, I don't put a lot of stake in my feelings about it afterwards because, you know, and a friend said this to me once, but you know, sometimes I make it and I really like it and then I don't like it later. Or I make it and I hate it. And then later I think it's great, you know, and, and that's not really, that's not why I did it. And so you're going to have to push through some frustration and pushing through the frustration itself is, is part of the reward. Uh, Cause you will look back at the first things you did and then you will look eight months later at how good you are and you will think, wow, I really did it there, didn't I? And now I can make something cool. Kelly, 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So many beautiful and practical ideas from Kelly. I want to thank her for coming on the show. And you know, I feel better. And that may or may not be because I'm folding up a tiny paper star right now. Do whatever activity makes you happy. And if you're in crisis, you have resources. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 800-273-8255. You can also send a text message to the crisis text line at 741-741. There are suicide prevention and mental health groups that help veterans, sexual assault survivors, LGBTQ folks, and people of color, and more. Lifeline and the crisis text line can help you find them. Our show is a product of Crooked Media. Andy Gardner-Bernstein is our new producer. We get production support from Izzy Margulies, and Bill Schultz is our audio editor. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>